Our second reading is from the second letter to the Corinthians, the fourth chapter, beginning with the fifth verse. And if you'd like to follow along, it's printed in the middle of your bulletin insert. For we do not proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in clay jars, so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Here ends our reading. This week, as I entered into the long and colored stories of Eli and Samuel, Paul and the Corinthians, I found myself feeling like I was standing before one of Mark Rothko's paintings, fully enveloped in a layered world of emotion. Rothko's large-scale canvases were used in order to overwhelm the viewer, to envelop them within the painting. He once explained the reason he painted them so large was because he wanted to be very intimate and human, as opposed to grandiose and pompous. To paint a small picture, he said, is to place yourself outside your experience, to look upon an experience as a stereopticon view or with a reducing glass. However, you paint the larger picture you're in it. It isn't something you command. Our reading from 1 Samuel comes in the midst of a longer narrative, much longer than even Morgan read you this morning. A narrative not only about Samuel's call, but about Eli and Israel and God. Leading up to our reading, we learn that Eli's sons have gotten into some trouble versions of which have played out more than once in Israel's history. They have been taking the first portions of offerings, which were meant for God, a clear no-no, and they've been lying with women who serve at the meeting place of God. Scandalous. This becomes Eli's undoing. For while he does confront his sons about what they've done, they don't stop. And God, rationally or not, erupts into a rage. Samuel's prophecy is the second in a series, I didn't realize that, that the house of Eli will be destroyed. 
In the first, an unnamed prophet tells Eli of God's disappointment. I attended for you and your father's house to remain in my service forever. But now, far be it from me. A time is coming when I shall break your power and that of your father's house. So with these words still fresh in the air, Samuel's oral confusion about who's calling his name is more than sweet naivete. A statement is being made. Eli's voice is no longer to be confused with the voice of God. Not to be missed, it's replayed three times until both Eli and Samuel are clear. Then, after a pretty awful promise of devastation and loss, including the deaths of his sons, comes Eli's response. God will do what God deems right. With a full range of responses to hurt and disappointment unfolding throughout this narrative, Eli's response is stunning. There's no fight, no protest. The destructive eruptions are left to God. And as the story continues, the Philistines come and assemble for war against Israel. Thousands of Israelites are killed in battle. Unable to understand how this happened, the people of Israel bring the Ark of God with them to their camp with the hope that the presence of God will save those who remain. But the Philistines come and kill tens of thousands more Israelites, including Eli's sons. The Philistines also capture the Ark of God. As it is carried from place to place, devastation continues to be left in its wake. For according to one translation, God keeps inflicting the people with mice and hemorrhoids, infected with what was likely the bubonic plague. That's right, you heard hemorrhoids. I had to double check. Unable to command the loss with which they were enveloped, no longer even fully sure if it was God who caused it, the Philistines send the ark back to Israel, along with five gold hemorrhoids and mice, just in case that might help appease God. Luckily for the Israelites, Samuel is able to intercede on the people's behalf, and finally, the prophecy having been fulfilled, there is peace once more. This story is stunning on so many levels. (laughs) On a more serious note, It's stunning because of its ability to convey the experience of entering the fog that comes in response to hurt and disappointment. The layered emotions and attempts at making things right again. 
the inability to command the world in which we find ourselves. As I was trying to deal with my own discomfort with a depiction of such an angry God, I kept finding myself drawn to Eli's humble humanity. His humanity, I told myself, was the light of the story. And yet, erupting with anger is also part of our humanity. Some time ago, a colleague of mine caught herself acting in a way that was other than she had hoped in front of me and someone else. Someone who makes a practice of embracing the fog was standing next to me as my colleague apologized. And in response, this person said, it's all part of the beauty of your humanity. And just like that, a veil of shame floated away. Sometimes I wonder about the ways we try to keep ourselves safe. The things we tell ourselves about who we are, the parts we're willing to see, the parts we're not. Sometimes you get hemorrhoids and ignoring them doesn't always work out. I do wonder about the fog and about making friends with anger. <clears throat> that part that cares about our hurting and our fear. The part that's trying, even if imperfectly, to help us be okay. I think of Paul embodying more than one aspect of his humanity and letting both be true. His instinct to be arrogant and biting and to care about living justly and treating one another well. The truth of carrying both hope and devastation. I think of Eli and the storytellers and those trying to find meaning, the Philistines and the Israelites. I think of God, angry, the part that's difficult to look at and the part that cares about our hurting and our fear. Standing before the complexity and hope of our humanity is an ancient and enduring light enveloped within us. A light that kept vigil with Samuel until morning. A light that proclaims we are afflicted but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. So be it. Amen.